guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. If you listened last week, you will have learned that we changed the name of the show. Um, We always called it Mimosa Sisterhood anyway, because it was just our nickname, but I decided to go full send on that. So this is the new official new-new. Also, if you listened last week, you will have heard the first episode of our new segment, The Everyday Woman. Um, But definitely, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, do tune in. It's episode 45. It features Julie Bedard, and she tells us all about how she came to launch her air plant business in the midst of a global pandemic after she was laid off. And it's really, it's a really empowering story. So I think it's one that a lot of people can relate to given the state of our current world. So definitely tune in and learn more about her and the Artie Party. Um, And also, I often forget to ask this, but if you have been enjoying our show and you do want to help support the podcast, please consider doing a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you are able to. Um, This is a really easy, quick way to help us get new listeners and also increase our chances of being featured on the browse section of Apple Podcasts, which, let's be real, is a dream fucking come true. So, um... I would greatly appreciate it if you were able to leave us a review. Also, I launched a newsletter. Like, what? Who am I? I don't know. But I launched it. The first one released last week, and it's going to have lots of really snazzy stuff, things about the podcast, news about the merchandise I'm planning to launch. I'm also going to do, like, weird astrology shit. I'm going to do, like, women of the month, weird female fun facts, all kinds of stuff. I'm still figuring it out, but I'm going to make it lots of fun. So if you are interested in getting it, you can subscribe through my website um, at mimosasisterhood.com. Let's get on to more exciting stuff, which is introducing our next guest host. And her name is Aubrey Summers, and she is from the Chick Lit Podcast. What's up, Aubrey? Hey, what's going on? Not much, other than being super excited that you're here and recording an episode with me. Oh, thanks. I'm super excited. This is my first guest spot ever. Woo! Woohoo! I was gonna say we just launched Chicklet It like the beginning of August of this year, so we're super new to the scene. What's up? <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, welcome. It's a the podcasting world is a ton of fucking fun. Um, I have met so many people, including you, through Thanks. just like podcast Aww. networking. It's yeah. really cool. It's awesome. Um, it's really just I've had the time of my life doing this, and I think honestly the the greatest part is just how many people I have met all over the freaking world, and it's like we almost have like our own little like club. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like, 
The Podcasters it, Club. I love it. It really feels like that. Um, Karen is uh, Karen Rayner is my co-host on Chicklet, and she does a lot of the production end, like the editing and things like that. And I have kind of just become the social media person for it. And I'm learning on the fly, and I've gotten to talk to a lot of cool people. Yeah, like you said, like we've had listeners from Ireland and Germany, and I'm just like. What is my life? Like, how <laughs> you're listening to me? Like, I don't know what the fuck's happening. So, thanks. Right? <laughs> like, it's really, it's really exciting. And it's just like one of the easiest, most like cost effective ways for people to be creatives and like yes. have a show and, you know, not feel like held back by like, you know, not being famous or not being rich or not, you know, n- knowing the right people in the right industries. It's like, you don't yes. even need all of that. You just need three simple things and you could create an entire show and reach so many amazing people. And I mean, that's just the dream, really. I'm just waiting for that to happen for me. <laughs> right. Like, it's been, it, we both work like 40 hour a week jobs. Like, we're full time. She's getting married soon. And like, it was kind of one of those, like, we're both creative people and we needed a creative outlet. And what better way to do it than together? Talk about books that we read when we were young and drink. Yeah. Like. <laughs> okay. So exactly. So tell all the listeners more about the show. Like what kind of show are you? How did you and your host meet? Where can we find you? All the good stuff. Oh, absolutely. Karen and I met about like 10, 11 years ago. Um, and in our first episode, we actually touch a little bit on it. We dated the same guy who kind of played each other played us against each other and there was just one night where we both watched John Tucker must die and we realized like holy shit like <laughs> why do we not like each other it's this dude like what? yeah um so it was just one of those like female friendships born out of like the same kind of fucked up shit happening to each other and yeah like while while you were meant to disdain each other and be pit against each other you mm-hmm. teamed up like boss ass bitches and we're like right. what now motherfucker exactly <laughs> and now you have a podcast together that's so fucking cool <laughs> yeah and so we've done a lot of theater together like um so we, we just needed something at this point in 2020 like it's fucking 2020 there's so much stuff going on it's a lot to deal with a lot of people have families and like you just have a lot on your shoulders and we needed something creative so we could function. So we were like throwing around ideas and we just had this idea of why don't we call it Chicklet where we talk about books that we read when we were younger and like get drunk and just have fun and talk about what happens in those books. And our first season, we're covering the first Princess Diaries. I love it. And it's been a fucking blast. Like, it's been so fun. I can't even believe, like, we've done this. Like, I can't even believe we've already put out five episodes tomorrow. We're putting out our sixth one, so so fun um yeah. can we also just talk about how you guys are like professional singers and have the best intro song i've ever heard in my life oh thank you oh, i listened to it like three times because i was like oh my god this is the best thing i've ever heard 
I actually told her yesterday, I was like, Karen, what if like every season we have like a band or somebody (laughs) do a different like take on it? Like, (laughs) it's so good. It like, I was like, oh my God, I am having so much inspo of like, I need a Mimosa Sisterhood song. Like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Girl, we could help you out with that. We could totally. Like, we both, yeah, we, we've done a lot of singing. I've done, uh, I've gone a viral on Tumblr years ago because I wrote a song parody to <laughs> Rolling in the Deep by Adele, but it's about J.K. Rowling, and it's about the seventh Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, yes. So we've, we've, Definitely dabbled. Does uh, Tumblr still exist, right? I'm pretty sure. I know. I've, I'm an I'm like, old person. Um, like, I'm just figuring out all my social media. Right? I'm right there with you. I've been like, it took me weeks to understand how TikTok worked. I was like, what is happening in this universe? I'm so confused. I'm going to have to ask you to explain that later because TikTok <laughs> is the baffling one for me. I'm like, what the fuck's happening? What am I watching? I don't, it's like you don't process what's happening to you until no, afterwards. <laughs> no. And then next thing you know, you're like addicted. It's like the strangest experience. Oh, Lord. Here it comes. Just yeah, like when I was addicted to The Sims on my phone, <laughs> I had to delete. Oh, my oh, God. God. I never had Sims on my phone, but I had it on the computer. And um, I would get like new Sims packages like every Christmas. I had like Sims pets. I think I had like a vacation oh, one. I was really into that shit. Yes. And you use the cheat rosebud or whatever to. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Oh, yes. All right. Well, we must be around the same age then. <laughs> oh. I'm, uh, I don't even care. I'm 31. I'm, Me uh... Me too! What? Shut the front door. Yep, I actually just turned 31 two days ago. What? Happy um, late birthday. Oh my gosh, yeah. 89 baby, what? Yep, that's right. Love it. I know. And it was, it was a good time. But, um, yeah, 31, it's pretty weird. It's, it's like the odd number after 30, which you like celebrate so hard. And then you're like, all right, well, I don't even want to celebrate anymore. What? This isn't fun. Like, what is this? Back it up. Back it up. <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? I wake up and everything's falling apart. It's cool. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> pretty, pretty strange getting old. But you know what? We're podcasters now. We have something to speak for. Right? Absolutely. (laughs) Let's get it out to the masses. I was going to say earlier, I have never read the Princess Diary book or books. Um, Did see the movie. And I mean, it's like, I feel like it's just one of those movies that is literally just a classic now. Like, it's one of the best movies of all time. (laughs) I I agree. It is in the top fucking 10 best movies of all fucking time. All right. I just like remember when when Anne Hathaway had to get like her unibrow waxed off. (laughs) Yes. The pain she must have felt. I know. Such a good movie, though. Loved it. And the fact that we have two different books, they've made different changes to things, especially the pop culture references. So it's been really cool to go, oh, shit, okay, what? Yours says Kanye, but mine says Puff Daddy? What? (laughs) Like, are you serious? 
<laughs> yeah, it's been that was a total surprise. We didn't realize that was going to be a thing, and then we started doing episodes, and we were like, "What the fuck? Like, what?" That is hilarious. Yeah, it's been really, really cool. I've been loving it. So, do you have um, like already a lineup of like what other books you plan to cover on your show? We have a list. Uh, we're always taking people's uh ideas we always ask on our show if anyone has an idea to please send it to us through our you know social media we would love to know other books that have touched other people because we're just you know we've lived our little lives we want to know what all is out there even if we've never heard of it let's cover it let's do it um but we do have a list of books that we know and love that we would like to cover at some point well, I heard you cracking some type of alcoholic beverage earlier, so I think it's time we teeter into the booze review. Oh, yes. I'm so bougie. <laughs> and by that, I mean, this is a Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> oh, nice. Hell yeah. Classic, you know. Love it. Those are I, bomb, though. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it was what it was in my fridge, you know. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> it was one of those. I meant to go. I actually meant to go. I told, <laughs> I told my boyfriend Henry last night. I was like, "Let's go to Walmart tomorrow, and I'll maybe get like some like craft beer and like be all cool and like shout someone out." <laughs> and then I didn't. And I said, "What's in the fridge?" <laughs> well, you and me both. Um, so this brings me into telling you. Why I have such an embarrassing alcohol lineup today. So I was planning to go, just like you were, to buy something a little snazzier for the episode, which I usually try and like, I mean, I don't go like hardcore top shelf, but I try and like get a different bottle I've never tried from like a new winery and like do my whole dealio. Um, And that's what I was going to do this morning before the episode. But last night... I waltzed myself into the kitchen around like 9 p.m. to get myself a very large piece of ice cream birthday cake. (laughs) And it's like an ice cream cake. And they get so freaking rock hard in the freezer. So I was like trying to cut this thing and like I couldn't cut it through. And so I got like this enormous butcher knife and I was like, this will do the trick. And I like was trying so hard to like cut through this rock hard ice cream cake which I ended up doing successfully and then I sat the knife down and was gonna like walk backwards to grab myself a plate and somehow the knife flipped off the counter and did like (gasps) a full front spin and landed flat on top of my foot and like literally chopped down like you were like cutting through a zucchini and um my foot gushed blood like a no. water fountain all over the kitchen. <laughs> no. And I started screaming and my boyfriend was in the living room and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I cut myself, I cut myself. And I'm literally like on the ground holding my wound together because it's spewing. Like I'm not oh. lying. It was bad. And he comes in and it's like a bloodbath and he's like, what oh, the fuck? Like what's going on? He was just like in a complete shock and like couldn't even think of like 
how to react to it. He had to duct tape a paper towel to my foot because we had no, like, emergency bandages. Oh, no. It was horrible. We basically had, like, a one-hour panic attack thinking I was going to have to go to the emergency room and get stitches. Oh, God. Um, And then after about an hour, I was, like, finally, like, coherent enough to be, like, okay, like, look at the wound. And it's bad. Like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I have a very deep wound in the top of my foot. And I can't walk. So I wasn't able to drive to a liquor store or walk to one to get myself some alcohol. So I had to literally pull whatever I had in the house, which was a half a bottle of Kirkland Costco brand Sauvignon Blanc. And then because it's only half a bottle, I brought myself up a little ice chest um, that has two Golden Road melon cart beers in it so that if I run out of the wine, I have backup booze so I don't have to hobble up the stairs to get it later. Hey. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Why are you trying to kill yourself? I don't know. He like that's what he kept saying. He's like, "What are you doing playing with knives?" I'm like, "I'm not playing with knives. I'm trying to eat my fucking birthday cake." Like, what? So that is why I am drinking half a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc and I have two backup beers when that runs out. Oh man, at least you have backup though. That's that's always a a plus. <laughs> yeah, and I brought yeah. it I brought it downstairs in an ice chest. Right. So you got it I'm right prepared. there. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, God. Well, on that note, we might as well look up to some more uplifting stories, um, particularly around badass women in history. Yes. And I I'm think so I, I think I'm going to kick it off. All right. All right. Well, I have a little bit of a shorter story today, um, but a good one. And I... As usual, I am absolutely diehard obsessed with the woman that I'm covering. Um, I have heard of her in the past briefly through, like, I stumbled upon her, like, through a magazine article or, like, on Instagram, and I knew that she was an absolute queen that needed to be on this podcast. So, I'm not sure if she's going to be new to you or if you've heard of her before, but her name is Iris Apfel. And she is an American businesswoman and also the world's oldest fashion icon who found fame at the raw age of 83 years old. I have never heard. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm intrigued. How did she come upon this newfound career? Right? And so the coolest thing is that, you know, this is pretty recent that she's found fame. Um, because today she is 99. Oh, damn. (laughs) She is alive and kicking. And so she got, she found fame at 83. She's 99. So, you know, hasn't been too many, a little over 10 years. Um, but she is considered this like new leading figure that's helping to fight against ageism in the fashion industry. Because, I mean, I, I don't know of anybody other than her that's landed a modeling contract at 83 years old. That's, yeah, I mean, 
I couldn't land one even at my best, which was like probably 21. <laughs> There's right? no way. Like how the so what magic voodoo does she have? I know. know. So she's a really, really cool woman. And I ended up watching a documentary of hers where a lot of my uh, notes came from. Um, But I'll get started because it's a good one. So Iris was born in 1921 in Astoria, Queens in New York to a Jewish father that owned a glass and mirror family business and a Jewish Russian born mother who owned a fashion boutique. So Iris was growing up during like the Depression era, but she still remembers her mother prioritizing fashion during this time period and teaching her as a child that as long as you have a simple black dress, you can always dress it up or dress it down. Yeah. So literally it was the Depression and she was teaching her daughter how to jazz up a simple black dress during this time period. I am digging this. Yes. (laughs) Right? Yes, please. I love it. Like That was such a horrible time. I know. You gotta do something to make you feel good. Right? Exactly. And you probably didn't have much either. Right. So it was like, well, we've got a little like raggedy black dress. We can do a lot with this. We're going to improv this shit real quick. Yup. So Iris obviously notes that her love for fashion throughout her life was without a doubt influenced by her mother, who she says worshipped accessories, which also is something that Iris worships today in her everyday fashion. So a typical outfit for Iris consists of gigantic, chunky beaded jewelry, huge faux fur scarves and jackets, like endless mismatched prints on prints on prints on prints. Like she'll have like one printed pant with like a different printed blouse with like her fur coat and all these beads. I'm already Um, in. I'm so in. (laughs) She loves wearing these like beaded slippers that have embroidery on them. They like they're like satin slippers that are like beaded and embroidered on like the toe part. That's Um, amazing. And then she wears bracelets that literally just like go up to her elbows. Like her what? both of her forearms are just like have these massive like macrame type beads all the way up her arms. Wow. And this is her in her 90s. Um so she's obviously a complete showstopper. Like there's right. no chance that you miss her walking down the street. Oh, and I forgot to mention her signature like thing is that she has these huge black circular framed glasses they're like enormous like i love it like edna from the yes exactly (laughs) exactly like her and then she always has like a bright red lipstick on so oh my my queen yeah she's working it and you definitely during this podcast should look her up online because uh, just a picture of her it's absolutely you'll just die um how do you spell her last name right so now? it's a p f e l oh my god she is everything <laughs> right she is everything i've wanted and more <laughs> i yeah. love it She's amazing. Um, Which, I mean, honestly, how isn't a woman like that going to get stardom? Right. Like, you were destined, babe. (laughs) She really was. So, 
when when people have asked Iris like about the type of outfit she wears, she always says, "I don't have any rules because I'd only be breaking them. It's a waste of time." Oh, and man. she's also stated that she loves individuality, which she thinks is lost these days. That everything is homogenized and uniform, and she absolutely hates it. Oh, so I love she her so much. definitely, you know, wants to live against the norm with her clothing type. Um, so she studied art history at NYU, and then she attended an art school at the University of Wisconsin. And after college, she landed a job working for Women's Day Daily, which was a fashion magazine that many had nicknamed the Bible of Fashion. And she also worked as an interior designer and was an assistant for an illustrator. And then at 27 years old, she married Carl Apfel. And two years later, they launched their own textile business called Old World Weavers, which honestly happened by literal fate. So Iris was basically like, on the hunt for a specific type of fabric that she literally couldn't find anywhere and that basically didn't exist. And like oh, wow. while she'd been on this hunt, she happened to run into like an old college friend of hers and they were like got to chatting about like fashion and stuff like that. And that friend like basically reminded her like, hey, remember my father is a fabric weaver, like that's his career. And so she suggested, hey, like, why don't you go to my father's fabric mill and see if he's able to make this design of fabric for you since it doesn't exist. So she went and she like gave this guy her design of like a fabric that she wanted. He ended up making it and it ended up being like such a huge hit. Like the whole fabric mill was like, oh my God, this is absolutely beautiful. It's incredible. Like best fabric we've ever seen. And he basically on the spot was like, do you want to go into business with me? Like you can design the fabrics and I'll make them. And she was like, sure. Like, why not? (laughs) Wow. That's so cool. What? Yeah. And so she even says, uh, she was quoted to say like, nothing I ever did, I intended to do. It just kind of happened. And like, this continues throughout the majority of her life. Like, Iris never was on the hunt to seek any type of like career success. It just kind of like landed in her lap. Um, which God, please, dear Lord, can somebody grace me with that kind of luck? <laughs> Seriously, like, hello, I'm right here, ready. Right. <laughs> exactly. So Iris and her husband traveled the world purchasing unique textiles for their business, which they ran and operated for 40 years until they ended up retiring. So they basically wow. were like set with their careers forever after that. But outside of her textile business, Iris was getting a shitload of other side gigs that were related to fashion and design that brought her a ton of success and visibility. One of the most insane projects that she landed was being hired to literally do the interior design in the White House for nine different presidents. Wow. (laughs) What? So, so she, her career is just so erratic and like zigzaggy, and like that's so cool. What yeah, a life. I don't. I mean, and I couldn't find like how they hunted her down and were like, "Let's hire this lady to do our interior design." But also, like, what does the interior design look like in the White House if Iris is making it? Right. <laughs> like, is like, shit popping in there? I'm so what confused. What is going on in that? Because it doesn't look like that. 
Right? So, and it, it appears that every time a new president came in, she was hired to, like, up redo the interior design for that person. So That's dope. Yeah. Super, super cool. Um, so, obviously, like, things like this got her in the mix with very, like, high-profile people. And she'd get invited to attend lots of events with, like, the upper class. And she would show up to these events wearing, like, extremely eccentric, like, non-Western artisanal clothing that she'd purchased during her travels around the world. So she was showing up to things and, like, looked, you know, 100% different than anybody else there. Um, But people loved it. And... Iris really at one point said that like her love for clothing was really more of a love for art than it was like a clothing publicity statement. So she sort of felt like she enjoyed designing and putting outfits together way more than she enjoyed putting them on her body and like wearing them. It was like more of like this like, ooh, I'm going to match this with that and then we're going to get this color and then we're going to get that bead and this feather. And it was like she was basically like putting an art masterpiece together and it just so happened that she was the canvas that this all went on that's amazing yeah it wasn't that like she loved fashion she loved creating art and making it fashion for the most part um and so other fashion designers have since like looked up to iris and considered her as an artist that uses her clothing and accessories to create a new vision um, and this crazy story in Iris's documentary, she tells this story about how she used to shop at the department store called Lomans in Brooklyn. I don't know if Lomans are still around anymore. I remember my mom used to go to one, but there was like a Lomans in Brooklyn and it was owned by this female business owner who I guess was like a crazy ass bitch, according to Iris, that <laughs> she used to like sit in her store up on this like big throned chair that was like raised off the ground and she would just like watch her customers like creepy <laughs> style. Um, so weird. Yeah, she would like act like she was like big brother, you know? And Iris even says, like, this lady freaked me out. She was so fucking weird. Like, I felt really uncomfortable because every time I went into her store, she would just stare at me, like, to, like, a weird extent. And then one day, this lady called her over and was like, hey, um, I've been watching you. And, you know, I just wanted to say, you're not pretty, You'll never be pretty, but you have something much better. You have style. (laughs) Whoa. And this is actually a very common thing that continues to repeat throughout Iris's life and something that at the raw age of 99, she's very proud to talk about. Um, This idea that, like, she isn't this, like, the way she looks, like, her face, like, who she is doesn't fit the ideal beauty standards of our society, but she has this, like, eccentric, you know, style and fashion that, like, people are attracted to. But then someone like this bitch at Lomans is like, I'm so attracted to you, I can't stop looking at you, but, like, just FYI, you're not, like, a naturally pretty woman. Like, you just have really great style. That's... A backhanded compliment if I've oh, ever heard one. <laughs> totally. And, and she, I mean, this happened several times throughout her life. Wow. Um, 
So, I mean, we'll, we'll continue to cover it as I go on, but just a side note on, you know, Iris was this incredible, immaculate, colorful, creative artist, and people admired her, but she just wasn't really that pretty. So, <laughs> shocker! Right. Um, <laughs> so, in addition to this, um, another thing that has happened several times throughout Iris's life are people that ask her, like, hey, are you planning to get plastic surgery? Or, like, what are your thoughts on plastic surgery? Like, FYI, you're, like, old now, so when can we expect you to put plastic in your face, you know? Um, And she has stated time and time again that she's extremely opposed to plastic surgery, and in her documentary, she even says, quote, you don't know how it's going to turn out. It could be worse than when you started. You come out looking like Picasso over a few wrinkles. Everyone knows how old you are. You have these scrawny little hands that don't match your face. (laughs) So... (laughs) She was kind of just like, this is a joke. Like, you guys can get plastic (laughs) surgery all you want, but we know how fucking old you are. Like, look at the rest of your body, you know? It's like, just because your face looks one way, it doesn't, it's not hiding shit. Um, so she, she feels very, like, empowered in her choice to have never done that. And I I don't think that she, like, is, you know, degrading people that do, but she's very empowered in the decision that she's made to just age naturally and not try to mask it or hide it or change it. She's just, this is the way it is. I'm fucking 83. Like, what do you want? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is, this is my fucking face. Get used to it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's, it's so rude for somebody to even ask her that. It's like, wow, yeah. you're, you're here asking me when I'm going to do a surgical procedure on my face to fix it. Like, that's so yeah. rude. Yeah. It's just insane. It's disgusting that that's even something that would occur, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, it, it, she faced a lot of stuff like that throughout her career. Um, but... It's wild because even though some people, like, wanted Iris to conform to, like, these industry beauty standards, the majority of people really loved her because she refused to do it. And her fans are, like, wide. She has all kinds of people that love her from all ages, all walks of life, like, the people that, you know, are inspired by Iris, it's, like, from near and far. She doesn't have just, like, one demographic of people that look up to her. She has a very diverse group of people that love her. And I think it's because, like, you know, her fashion choices aren't put together to impress people. It's, like, a direct reflection of her creative personality. And like I said before, she somewhat uses her body as a canvas that she decorates with her own art. And I think that's why people love her, because they know that this isn't some publicity stunt to, like, be famous. It's just, this is just who she is. Yeah. So, in 2004, she officially gained real intense fame when she was asked to participate in an in an exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute of New York, where her everyday wardrobe was the focus of the exhibit. So they gave her 100% authority to accessorize her outfits any way she deemed fit, and it was a complete phenomenon. So they had, like, mannequins in this exhibit that were dressed up to look just like Iris. They even had her enormous oversized circular black glasses. And in one display... An iris mannequin is wearing a gigantic, like, feather 
I think it's like a feather scarf coat. I don't even know what it is. A shawl. (laughs) While she's sitting on top of an ostrich. So it was wild. It was weird. It was like you know, costumey. It was the weirdest thing and people freaking loved it. And yes. it was such a huge success, which they honestly coined to be massively due to word of mouth. Like people would come and look at this exhibit and then like instantly call all their friends and be like, get down to this exhibit. It's so good. You have to see it. And that's how it blew up, which is like the best thing ever, you know, that organic like fame that you get where people are just like recommending you and suggesting you and telling everybody she's the best she's the best you know they didn't they did a little bit of marketing but it I mean it was mostly successful because of the audience that just loved it so much so it was a huge 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 hit and the funniest thing is that like most people had no clue who Iris was at this time period they were like what the fuck like who's this display or who's this exhibit that's displaying like this crazy old lady wearing all these weird outfits and I guess one time her nephew like was at this exhibit watching it for the first time and he overheard some of like the people there like whispering like oh my god I wonder like is this lady dead like who is she like no one knew and I guess he like went back and told her like hey people like think you're dead like no one knows who you are and she she told him well next time you let them know that your auntie isn't dead she's walking around uh trying to save funeral expenses so she like always has all these little witty jokes that she's doing too she's like super funny in her documentary um but yeah after this exhibit she blew up and she was booking gig after gig after gig and then in 2011 she became a visiting professor at the university of texas at austin in its division of textiles and apparel she started performing in television commercials she became the face of many brands she did a ton of like product collaborations she even published a book titled iris apfel the accidental icon and all of this was happening in her 90s that's amazing (laughs) what a full freaking life Yes! And she's still alive! Yeah! And it was in 2019, at 97 years old, that Iris signed a modeling contract with global agency IMG. The I'm pretty sure she goes down in history as the oldest woman on Earth to get a modeling contract. <laughs> that, that's remarkable and incredible. Wow. Right? So I love her. She's so great. And so today, Iris is living in a loft apartment in Manhattan, New York, and she has a $22 million fortune. Wow. (laughs) She just celebrated her 99th birthday last month on August 29th. Um, Sadly, her husband Carl passed away, but only three days before his 101st birthday. (laughs) Good lord, what are they eating? Right? (laughs) And they were together for 67 years. Um, That's so cute. I know. And then this part I also think is important to note. Iris and her husband never had any children, which was a choice that they made because Iris really just wanted to be a career woman. And she was quoted to say... You can't have everything. I wanted a career and I wanted to travel. I didn't want to have my children raised by a nanny. Something's got to give and sometimes it's you. 
So she chose to not have any children because she knew that she wasn't going to stop being a career woman and she didn't want to, you know, have kids and not be there for them. So they just didn't have any. Um, What a boss bitch. But if they did, those kids would have had some good ass genes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Holy crap. They would have lived to be like 300. I know. Jesus. Um, And so... I'm going to end on a quote, which is the same quote that her documentary ends on, which is just, I think, the perfect way to just sum her up. Um, And when she is in this documentary being interviewed, I think she's 95. I think she's between, like, I think they interviewed her a couple, like, over, like, a year or two. So I think she was around 93 to 95. But this is what she says. She says, quote, I've never felt pretty. I don't feel pretty now. I'm not a pretty person. I don't like pretty. And I think it worked out well because I found that, for instance, all the girls that I know who were very pretty girls and got by on their looks, as time went on and they faded, they weren't anything. And they were very disappointed. When you're somebody like myself, in order to get around and to be attractive, you have to develop something. You have to earn something. You have to do something so you can become a bit more interesting. And when you get older, you can get by on that. Anyway, I don't happen to like pretty. Most of the world is not with me, but I don't care. Wow. So, yeah. Ah. That is Iris Atfill stating that little topic on prettiness at 95 years old. (laughs) That's the coolest, like, I wish she was my grandma. I know, right? Like, holy shit. (laughs) She's amazing. She's so cool. And, like, the reason why I wanted to cover her is because, like, obviously it's insane that a a woman of her age, you know, blew up with this kind of success when she did. But, like, regardless of that, I feel like she, like, represents such a, like, organic perspective and lifestyle that people don't have, like, feel the freedom to live themselves that often. Like, she just was so uniquely herself and never, you know just never gave a fuck. She just full send on Iris and was like, this is what I'm going to be. This is who I am. This is my art. This is me walking down the street as confident as ever. I've been told my whole life I'm not pretty. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm an artist. This is my creative being and I'm going to be that forever. And she just, people liked it. And I think that's the uplifting part is it's like, you know, a lot of the times we try to conform to what we think is highlighted or celebrated or accepted when, you know, she's the perfect example of somebody who refused to be the everyday person. And now she's just this insanely amazing person. Like she's a star in a bunch of just like a dull atmosphere. She's like the brightest one. The brightest, most colorful star. Yeah. And so I just love that like reminder that being yourself even if it's so much different than everything else around you or everything you see on TV or online, being that, you know, is the most important thing and it could lead to places that you never even thought were possible. So I love that she has that message and I love an old lady that finds success in her older days. I'm just like, yes, (laughs) there is so much time, you know, I feel like we have this bad habit of always feeling like we're like, we're too old or time's run out or we miss our opportunity. And it's just like, 
people like Iris, people like Julia Child like, that got success, you know, way older in life, they're just such a great reminder that, like, there is no such thing as it's too late. It's never you too late. Still, yeah, you can still reach for something, you know? Don't give up. <laughs> and, like, you know, the thing about her is she wasn't even, for the most part, reaching. It was like she just lived her her organic self and people saw it and were like, we want you to have great things because we like what you are. <laughs> That's a beautiful message. I know. It, yeah. What a cool boss lady. I know. I love her. So anybody who's listening to this, please Google Iris Apfel right now. <laughs> Do it. Um, Do you it. will not regret it. And you'll just look at her and just be like, yes, queen. Like, she will make she- you happy. And she, I actually learned about her, I'd seen pictures of her a while ago, but I more recently was, like, reintroduced to her when she did have her birthday last month. I saw, like, online, somebody reposted this picture of her on her 99th birthday, and she is just in the most beautiful display. She has these, like, giant 99 balloons, and she's in this beautiful emerald green room with, like, all this, you know, like, campy stuff around her, just, like, weird shit. She's holding, like, a Kermit the Frog. Like, it's the strangest thing, but it just is, like, so perfect. You're just like, yes, this is everything. This is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, this 99-year-old woman, like... It's wild. Um, And, you know, it's so funny. She has this documentary and she's this she is such a grandma. Like when you're watching it, (laughs) you'll see hints of like your own grandparents in her where she has just like, you know, that elderly wit or like kind of like a weird demeanor about her when she's being filmed. Like she'll just like (laughs) she's in the middle of an interview and she'll just get up and walk away and she'd be like, all right, that's enough. Help yourself to whatever you want in the house. And she's just like randomly walking down the hallway like, okay, I guess interview's over, you know, like. <laughs> like bye Iris. See ya. Yeah, she just has this funny like just old person thing about her that makes her even just even more adorable. Um so yeah, that's Iris. I love her. I love that we get to like just celebrate an older woman like owning her beauty and whatever that is to her, which is really art and like again, you know, breaking these barriers that you know, older people can't be in the fashion industry, which clearly they can. So it's really awesome. And I'm fucking amped on her. And I hope everybody else is amped on her. Um, I am now. Holy crap. She's cool as hell. (laughs) Isn't she so cool? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because I did not know anything about her. That is the... she. Please, everyone legit Google her, though. Like... (laughs) (laughs) It's so worth it. Like, she will make your day. It's interesting. It's interesting that you picked someone who's lived such a long life. Because right? my my lady was, uh, was tragically, her life was cut so short at yes. such a young age. Uh, I picked uh, Selena Quintanilla Perez because... I've been listening to her since I was really little. Uh, My best friend, Rosanna, she introduced me to her when I was in like this, we were like second, third grade. Um, And we, I remember we used to like play dress up in her garage and perform her songs. And it was just, it's super awkward now, but it was, (laughs) I just have those fond memories of us performing. And like, 
I don't really speak Spanish, but I can sing Selena songs perfectly. Oh my god, are you going to do a little song for us? Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's really funny because... I, I it's Selena didn't speak Spanish initially. She learned it phonetically and then became fluent. So I always liked that. I kind of learned it phonetically because I listened to her on repeat forever when I was a child. I love but, uh, it. Yeah, I I absolutely I'm obsessed with her. Um she was like referred to as like the Mexican Madonna. Um and she was huge in Tejano music. She was a real big reason why that's, like, become a thing, like, in culture outside of, like, Texas and New Mexico. Because she brought it to the forefront. She was born in 1971, April 16th, in Lake Jackson, Texas, to Abraham and Marcella Quintanilla. And her dad had been kind of, like, musical... Uh, back in like the 50s and he had his own like band and they played like rock and roll with like a little bit of traditional Mexican music mixed in um, and that's what was kind of what ended up becoming Tejano music uh, but he gave up the music career to start a family of course and so she grew up with like two siblings she was the youngest and like she was only six when her father realized she had like perfect pitch like, can you imagine being six and having perfect pitch? Right? Like, I, it's, I recently, I think I, I might have perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. I, what? I play this, I play this game where, like, I will, I'll, I'll tell my friend Karen, my co-host, I'll tell her, pick a song that I know, and she'll tell me the song, and I'll start singing it, and we'll play the song to see if I got it in the right key. And I'm 99.9% correct. Oh my god, that is so cool! <laughs> like, but I can't imagine at six. Like, I don't know if I developed that because there's a lot of like misconceptions. Some people say that it's like a genetic thing. Some people say that it can be developed. Um, but being six years old, your dad's like, "Holy shit! Like, what? Like, we're starting a band." Is basically what he did. He was like, "You can sing, okay? I'm gonna get all the kids to play instruments." <laughs> We're going to fucking be a family band. And Selena and her, her siblings are like, okay, cool. Like, All right. Sure. Let's, let's go. Um, <laughs> so, like, he opened a restaurant called Papagayos. And a, uh, he had them perform there as Selena y los Dinos. Um, and they were always, like, the little featured performers. But, of course, the restaurant failed. Uh, due to, like, the 1980s oil glut and the family went bankrupt and all that fun stuff with Reagan coming into the presidency. So they ended up losing their house and relocated to Corpus Christi um, because they had family there. And so it was like they lived... There were so many people, like, living in one house. Um, So I I can't even imagine. It was hard enough living with two brothers like that. (laughs) Mm -mm. Hell no. Uh uh-uh. So they ended up, they just started performing. The Their dad had them going to, like, weddings, cantinas, festivals, like, all throughout southern Texas. And he eventually, like, pulled Selena out of school when she was in the eighth grade so she could stay on the road. Oh, And wow. she ended up, yeah, she got her, like, GED a little bit later on. Yeah, she never really actually got the full, like, 
high school experience. God, could you imagine um, getting pulled at eighth grade? Right? To be, like, on tour? That's so... It's just... that's I couldn't imagine that. Like, I think of, like, even just, you know, pop stars that started off as children. Like, what a weird dynamic that would be to just like one day be like you're not a kid anymore right it's (laughs) it's I don't even know how I would react like honestly like I that's such a weird way to grow up uh they were doing what they loved and stuff and like she did do schooling but it was yeah you know it's more I think it was more like homeschooling or going by a program and she did get her GED but yeah that'd be such a weird I had such a boring high <laughs> school. Like, she didn't get to do any of the boring shit. No, like, but on. I feel like you're also kind of, like, forced to grow up at a really rapid speed. Like, it's yeah. not like you're 14 and you're getting your first job at Subway and you're learning how to do the cash register and, like, you have a few customers yell at you. It's like, hey, you're going to literally be a, an entertaining act and now you're kind of a business and um, we're going to travel over and we're going to hope that people like you and some might hate you and we're going to, our entire family is going to be depending on you to make money to keep us up and running. Afloat, right. It's like, like we what? We house, like, <laughs> by the way, this is totally on your shoulders. It's, it's yeah. really wild. I couldn't imagine. I think I would have a freaking, I'd be having panic attacks like daily. Right. I can barely function now. Like I can't. <laughs> That's a, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, and so, like, they were really, in the beginning, it was just, like, Selena, Suzette, her sister on drums, and A.B., her brother, was, like, on guitar or bass. And they started adding members over the years and recording for, like, a small local label in Texas. Um, their first album came out in 1984. It was called Mi Primeras Grabaciones. Uh which, forgive me if my Spanish isn't... It sounds fantastic. I'm Mexican and I can't even speak like that. Oh, what? Shut your mouth. No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you lie to me. (laughs) I swear to God, I am the whitest Mexican on earth. I am very pasty. I I don't do well in the summer sun. Like, I don't look like I should be doing i should not they're gonna be like she picked selena what is happening oh my god well no you sound fantastic (laughs) thank you uh and it came out in like 1984 uh and it didn't sell in stores but her dad would carry the album with him and like pitch it to record executives and shit when like they would perform places and he'd be like here's the album here you go bro like i was like you made an album not to sell but just to like pimp out i can dig it that's pretty cute that's a pretty smooth move, Abraham. And uh, so, like, they ended up recording, like, five albums on this little local uh, place, including Alpha in 1986, Preciosa, and Dolce Amor came out in 1988. And then in 1987, she had won the Tejano Music Award for Best Female Vocalist and Best Female Performer, and she was 15. Crazy. Was, like, like what was I doing in 15 crying and writing in my journal like right (laughs) like no I can't even imagine like that's so crazy like she was 15 and she was already winning like best performer best vocalist yeah and wow and she won like awards after award after award for like the next seven years 
1989, whoop whoop, uh, she signed a record contract with Capital EMI and did like a string of albums, which are, ugh, I love them all, uh, like Ven Conmigo and Bailes de Cumbia. And then her 1993 album, Selena Live, won a fucking Grammy. What? Woo! Yes. Like, she was like, she really wanted to make an English album. Like, that was like one of her goals. Because she she loved singing Tejano music, but she really, that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to cross over. Mm-hmm. And at first, when they talked to EMI, they were like, Mm, she's not like famous enough in like 1989 they were like she's not famous enough to do that yet like let her release a few albums uh in spanish and then we'll get to a crossover once she hits like some peak fame then we'll discuss it but that was like her goal so when she like got nominated for that grammy that was like fucking huge for the whole family for her for the band like for everybody and the fact that she won was just Ugh, makes me cry. I Seriously. remember the mo- like the mo- watching the movie. I'm just like, oh man, Selena, Selena, uh, Selena's. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so like she released live her album that won a year after the Entre a Mi Mundo, which was recorded during a free concert at the Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi. And there were a lot of tracks that were sung live that were really popular, like No Debes Ugar, which I fucking dig that song. Uh, And they peaked within, like, the top five, the U.S. Billboard top Latin song charts. Like, she is responsible for bringing Tejano music, like, to the forefront in the 90s, like, where everyone was hearing about it. And I love that. And she was such an inspiration to, like girls and boys growing up who were Mexican-American who kind of didn't feel like they necessarily fit in with one side or the other and seeing someone do something amazing with her life and be such a positive role model for kids. Like, Mm -hmm. that's such an important thing. And I love that she was able to be that for so many people. And she's still being discovered by, you know, like, generations today oh totally but um around 89 was also when she met her future hubby chris perez uh he ended up becoming their guitarist and started up a little song something (laughs) but but like you know there was that dynamic of like we can't fucking tell your family we can't tell your dad like he's not gonna be thrilled that i'm trying to date you or whatever and of course once it comes out like which by the way her sister totally snitched like suzette totally snitched on her she saw like selena and chris flirting and like immediately was like dad i was like that's so lame like yeah i was like suzette bro like what like Oh my I God. I'm so offended. Like you know, Selena's the money maker, right? Like yeah. what are you, what you doing, girl? Like oh no. I was, I was a little salty when I found that out. A little um, tattletale, right? And so, of course, there was a huge fight. Ends up like calling Chris a cancer to the family. Threatens <gasps> threatens to disband the group if they continue the relationship, and he fires him. Says, 
yeah, you can't leave with him. He's fired. Get off the bus. Leave. Bye. You're done. And they were like, well, fuck that. So they started seeing each other in secret, which is what you do. Oh, of course. If you're a you rebellious teen dating a guy when people tell you not to. Right. <laughs> you date him even harder. And, like, so eventually they, they eloped. Like, they were like, this is the only way that I'll be accepted into the family. This is the only fucking way. I gotta marry, get married, and then eventually he's gonna come around. Quick question. Do you yeah. think that they were pissed because they thought he was going to interfere with her career or they were just having some of those like ridiculous female standards where it's like you can't date our daughter like fuck you. I know that Abraham has definitely said before in interviews that like he was worried that Chris would stop her from performing mm-hmm. and would like make her give up music like if to start a family or whatever. And, like, I was like, well, so what? Like, if she wants to quit, she should be able to quit. But, okay. You know, but he, yeah, that's why he was like, it's my little girl. And I didn't want everything that we worked for to be destroyed because he doesn't want her to continue with it. But he was in the fucking band, dude. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not like he was a lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) He's a fucking guitarist. Like, in your fucking band, why would he make her quit? But... I, I don't know. That's what mm. he said, though. So uh, that's... Mm, we'll, we'll say that. We'll <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, like, you know, eventually he... Uh, he eventually expresses that he was worried about, you know, him being machista, which is Spanish for male chauvinist, um, and ev- came around and accepted him into the family. It was like, okay, we're, we're cool. You can come back in the band, I guess. Um, (laughs) like we're fine now. And like, it was really cool. I love, also love the fact that she was, she wanted to branch out. Like she was in a couple of episodes of a telenovela, Dos Mujeres, Un Camino. And then I couldn't find the name of the other one, but, uh, she was really excited to be on there and they had like the highest ratings of any episode they've ever aired before. <laughs> of course, cause Selena's on it. Mm-hmm. And she was also in 1995. She was also briefly in the movie Don Juan de Marco with starred Marlon Brando, Johnny Depp and Faye Dunaway. And, uh, she had her designs. She was into fashion design. She opened boutiques, which is kind of, how she ends up in the situation she gets into. Yeah. Her family had kind of, like, avoided fan clubs and stuff uh, up until they really had to when she really was starting to get famous. And, you know, Saldivar, Yolanda Saldivar, is this woman who was a registered nurse and a fan of Selena. And she was able to contact Abraham Quintanilla and was like, you know, we're strangers at this point, but, you know, I think a fan club would be a good idea. I love Selena. I would love to run it for you. Like, you won't have to worry about anything. And, of course, they were like, well, okay, sure. (laughs) He was like, he thought the fan club would bring more exposure for them. Mm -hmm. So she soon became a really close friend to Selena and her family. She was, like, trusted. 
by all of them. She became the acting president of the fan club. And in 1994, when Selena began designing and manufacturing a line of clothing, she opened her two boutiques called Selena ETC. And they were in Corpus Christi, San Antonio, Texas. And she was in negotiations to open more in like Monterrey, Mexico and Puerto Rico. Uh, and she promoted Saldivar to the paid position of overseeing the boutiques. But things started going very wrong very quickly. Aww. The company's designer quit. They said that they couldn't work with her, Saldivar. Products that had been paid for that were not delivered. There were accusations of misused funds, missing funds. People who were working at the boutiques said Saldivar would fire people that she just didn't like. So, like, how did she get how, away with this? Uh, I I feel like it's probably not her first rodeo. Yeah, totally. If And I don't, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've read uh, any articles really involved about Yolanda's life before this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure she had had issues with, like, embezzlement um in the past or like money missing from jobs in the past so i i I definitely don't think i think she just has some knowledge of how to do it how to embezzle the funds the right way but she started slipping up she started slipping up and so according to abraham selena's dad in january 1995 he began receiving telephone calls from fans who had said they'd paid in for their memberships and were waiting for their stuff and had gotten nothing So he started, like, investigating. He's like, where the fuck is all this shit going? And they discovered that Saldivar had embezzled more than $30,000 via forged checks from both the fan club and the boutiques. 30 fucking grand. That is insane. It's so, like, frustrating that people can get away with shit like that and no one notices. Right. Like, and she claims to be obsessed, or, you know, uh, uh, not obsessed. She is obsessed. But she claims to be like, I love Selena. Like, I, yeah. would, I would never do this, baby. But, like, there was evidence. So, of course, Abraham had a meeting with Selena and Suzette on March 9th at their uh, production company, Q Productions, to confront Yolanda. And he presented her with the inconsistencies about the funds. And he was like, that if she did not provide evidence... That would disprove the accusations he's throwing her way that he would involve the police. Like, he was not fucking around. Like, he really wanted... He was like, you need to fucking tell us. And he banned her from having any contact with Selena. Of course, Selena didn't want to dissolve their friendship because she was a very... Selena was so nice. Like, she was legitimately, like, the well, probably one of the nicest souls. Dude, uh ever and I would have burned that lady's house down (laughs) (laughs) oh my god seriously like I just I when I whenever I read biographies on her and stuff and it's always like don't go in that house like don't do it like yeah you just you just want to grab them and tell them like don't trust this person like there's so many signs 
But, like, she thought Yolanda was, like, essential to the success of her clothing line in Mexico. Like, Well, and you know what else? I, like, I wonder if this goes back to the fact that, like, Selena never had a normal life. Like, did she have experience having friends? Did she have experience getting burned by people in the past? You know? It's like, we've all experienced that childhood heartbreak where it's like, you have this best friend and then she totally just vanishes one day and never talks to you again or steals yeah. your boyfriend or whatever the drama is but it's like you know if selena was basically on the road never had access to a normal childhood didn't have a lot of experiences with different types of people or friend groups and then you have this woman who you know you think is one of the closest people do you outside of your husband and your family you don't want to believe that it's as severe and as bad as it is right Like, you don't, you just don't know, you don't have this, it's not that she was, like, socially inept, but she just didn't have those experiences to go off of, yeah. I, I feel so bad for her, because it's like, she really thought that Yolanda was going to help her with this, she was, like, relying on her to help her in Monterrey to open up this boutique, you know? So she... Wanted to keep her close as well because she had, like, bank records and statements and financial records that were necessary for, like, tax preparation. And she didn't want her to, like, do something with the paperwork necessarily either, you know? So she she and her dad confronted Saldivar. The Washington Post report, reported that Yolanda was actually fired by phone the evening of March 29th again. And that the fan club president simply said, okay. Which is, she's going cuckoo. She's, something snapped. Something snapped. So, she kept trying to contact Selena and get her to come see her alone while she was staying at this day's inn. Um, But, of course, Abraham was suspect to that kind of behavior, and Chris was as well. There were, I think there were two times that she went to meet Yolanda, And she brought Chris with her. So nothing happened. Nothing went down that was, like, crazy. Mm -hmm. So, like, in the days before Selena's tragic demise, Yolanda delays handing over these bank statements by saying she had been physically and sexually assaulted in Mexico. Yolanda, Yeah, like, she just says that it happened... And she needs to go to the doctor. So, of course, Selena, being, like, a caring person, takes her to a medical clinic. Like, there's documentation. Like, they went to the medical clinic the morning of March 31st, 1995, to have Yolanda examined for an assault, which she claimed to happen in Monterrey. And during the visit, she was given a brief physical exam by the doctor, but it didn't include a gynecological exam because... It was suggested by the nurse that she needed to have the rape exam in San Antonio because Saldivar was a resident of San Antonio. The clinic they were currently at was in Corpus Christi and the assault occurred in Mexico. So Selena met, they went back to the hotel together at the Days Inn in Corpus Christi. And at the hotel room, she finally was like, where I need these financial papers, Yolanda. And at 11.48 a.m., Saldivar got a gun from her purse and pointed it at Selena. And as she attempted to flee, she shot her once, 
on the right lower shoulder, severing an artery and causing severe loss of blood. The bullet went straight through her. Critically wounded, she ran, like, she ran a hot minute. Like, she ran a long way to get to this lobby, and she lost a, like, a lot of blood. There was a trail of blood. And she collapsed on the floor as the clerk called the emergency services, with Yolanda still chasing after her and calling her a bitch. What? Yeah. They they had, like, some of the eyewitness testimony heard her scream, bitch, or you bitch. Oh, my God. So, right before collapsing, Selena named Saldivar as her assailant and gave the number of the room where she had been shot. Meanwhile, Yolanda attempted to leave in her pickup and was spotted by responding police cruiser. She surrendered after a nearly nine and a half hour standoff with police and the FBI. Nine hours. Nine. I just couldn't. That It was such a long time. It was, it was like televised. Stuff was like, Ugh. I can't even, oh. Well, because she was still armed, so they couldn't just like barge in and like. Yeah, she was right. She yeah, she was holding like the gun to her head and like threatening to kill herself. So they were like trying to talk her down. Did you say did Selena already die or was she just had lost blood and they had taken her to the hospital and when they got to the hospital with her, she was dead on arrival. But they were able they were able to get a a regular heartbeat going. And they tried to save her on the operating table because she had lost an intensive amount of blood. And she ended up passing away during the operation to try to save her. So sad. So it was two weeks before her 24th birthday. Uh, And they they eventually got Yolanda, arrested her, and she was convicted and sentenced to life. In prison for the murder of Selena. I just don't get it. Like, (laughs) I don't get it. Like, do you think this woman... Because I know you've probably... Like you said, you've looked into, like, different biographies and stuff. But... And I, I know... This, I know the story of Selena, but I haven't, you know, done my own digging into, like, the why or how did this happen on Yolanda. I mean, I've heard... I know I've read, like, brief articles and stuff, but do you think it was mainly just, like... She was just an evil woman with a ton of jealousy and just, like, lost control and, like, was capable of murder and just finally went for it? Like, yeah, that's that's going huge. I think something snapped. I think when, I think when Abraham probably started saying, like, you shouldn't see her and was probably keeping Selena from her, maybe something, like, snapped internally and she was like, "Why? Well, if I can't see her, like, I'm going to kill her. I don't know. This is all speculative. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I do know that during the trial, uh, Yolanda was, like, trying to say that Selena was having an affair with a doctor or somebody in Monterrey. And something, you know, that was why they had met up, and she was wanting to leave uh, Chris, and, like, it was an accident when the gun went off. I was threatened, I was gonna point it at my head, but the trigger went off, and, like, all this stuff, and trying to just put Selena's name in the mud. Uh, But, I mean, they, 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 I think the jury saw right through that. (laughs) The jury was like, "Mm, no, 
you're just a crazy bitch. Ugh, so insane. But it's, even with her death, like, she has had such a huge impact. Like, her crossover album, Dreaming of You, was released a couple of months posthumously after her death. And, I mean, it was huge. Huge. Still today, like, and she's a reason a lot of, like, female Hispanic entertainers are doing what they do now, which is fucking dope. And I love it. Like, I love that she was, like, not ashamed to be herself. Like Iris, she wasn't afraid to, like, be herself, Mm -hmm. do her thing, be authentic, do what you love. And, like, unfortunately, it was just taken away. Yeah. It was cut short. But I just love her so much. (laughs) It's so, it's so frustrating. It's just, like, you have to almost wonder, like, when people's lives get cut short like that, and they're always great people, you know? It's like you never see, like, some piece of shit that's just been, you know, destroying lives for decades cut cut short. Like, that doesn't ever happen. It's some special person. You almost have to wonder, like, maybe, you know... depending on what your like spiritual beliefs are but like maybe this person was just meant to make a huge impact that was short and sweet but would you know last for generations because she the message and the story that she left behind would you know go much further than maybe her even just living a full life could do yeah i don't know like it was yeah maybe it's one of those like yeah you were meant to live in this moment to change something for the better yeah. You know? And I mean, fuck, she's the reason we have J-Lo. Like, she's... <laughs> right? <laughs> Did you watch the Super Bowl, this last one that we had, when, like, J-Lo and Shakira just, like, worked yes. a stage? OMG, I right? fucking loved it. I mean, it. that's total so- channeling of Selena. Like, that's what yeah. Selena used to do on stage. She used to shake it. She used to, you know, do all her moves. She had all those cute bras and those outfits, and it's just, like... It's a bustier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Well, whatever ended up happening to Yolanda, did she die? I feel like I remember there was oh, recent no. news about her. Like, she didn't she try to up- get, like, out recently? She'll be up for parole in about four years. And I think in 2025. <sighs> Something like that. She will be up for parole. And I was like, uh, y'all better keep that bitch in jail, okay? Like... <laughs> for real yeah and there's i i listened to a podcast um god i don't remember the name of it but it was a it was just kind of a documentary about the whole story and they talked to yolanda's sister and she was like she and yolanda both say that they have another secret about selena that yolanda might might not ever tell anyone and i'm like what shut the fuck up like (laughs) shut the fuck up and stop trying to be famous like lord like just you act like you acted like oh she was my best friend but you're just like stop like stop trying to do shit like that you know what though if there's any comfort in any of this, which it's hard to find, you know that Yolanda got her ass beat in jail for what she did. Oh, one can dream. <laughs> there is no way that woman went to a woman's prison and didn't get instantly jumped for having murdered Selena. I I, be- I don't know if this is true. I remember <laughs> when I was younger that I heard that... 
maybe it was like when she was awaiting trial that they had had to put her in solitary because there were so many fucking people that wanted to fucking kill her in jail. <laughs> Absolutely. They could, they could not put her in the same area. They had to put her in solitary. And I was Ugh. like, good. Y'all were smart because she would have been straight up dead. Like, Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, it will be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years with her. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, whatever judge, judge whoever you are in the future, don't do it. Don't let her out. (laughs) And then, like, with the death of Selena, that pretty much just ended the family band, right? Yeah, like, AB still has, like, he does stuff, like, with his band called the Cumbia Kings, um... And I know Chris has done stuff with them, and he's also done some solo shit himself. But for the most part, yeah, they they run the Selena Museum in Corpus Christi. There's all kind. I really want to make a pilgrimage there um, because, like, I've always wanted to see like the Selena statue. I've always wanted to go visit her grave, yeah, um, and like just pay homage because she's just been such a huge part of my life. She's one of the reasons why I sing. Like, I just love her, and. So they they run yeah they run a museum there that has a lot of her collectives like her clothing her albums rare photos just mementos I'm pretty sure they have like her Porsche in the museum whoa um, yeah she had like I think it was a red Porsche um, I'm not good with cars so hopefully that's correct <laughs> um, and they have it in the museum uh, and they do things like that they've done they've like released. Uh, albums with music that people haven't heard that, you know, she had recorded before she passed. And they've just tried to keep her memory alive and keep people, keep people interested in knowing her story. Yeah. And now, and there's going to be a Netflix series, uh, limited series. It's supposed to come out this year at some point. Uh, It's called Selena, the series. I'm, I've, there's a trailer. If you're interested, just look it up on YouTube, like Selena Netflix. Oh, my God. I can't wait for that to come out. I mean, I just even remember watching that movie like six trillion times growing up. And just like, (laughs) yes, every time you get to the the scene, it's just the most devastating thing every fucking time. It like never got less devastating. And well, I I watched an interview with uh, Suzette and her sister, and Mm -hmm. she said that a lot of people have told them. That they don't even let their children watch the end. Oh, no way! Because they don't want to accept that, like, Selena is gone. Because that's how much people love her. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how... They didn't want... They were like, I'm gonna just... We're just gonna pretend like that part never happened for now. We'll get to that when you're older or something. <laughs> because they just didn't want to devastate their kids with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's how much they loved her. They were like, let's just preserve that little happy part of it, you know? Well, everybody loves Selena. She's definitely one of those people that will literally, she just is going to go down in history for all of eternity as, you know, an absolute icon for not only just all women, but definitely Mexican-American women and Mm -hmm. young pop stars. And I don't know, she's huge. It's like, it doesn't feel, to me, it feels like it still wasn't that long ago that you yeah. know, she was ruling the world while she was alive and performing. But when you think about it, like when, you know, we're much older than 31 <laughs> <laughs> in 
and there's a much younger generation rising like she's going to be somebody that's you know in these women in history books and she's going to be taught in you know the music world and she's just she's yeah. never gonna go away her story will never go away she's such a huge 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 icon with an I mean, incredible impact they gave her in 2017 they gave her a star on the hollywood walk of fame oh i do remember that yeah so i mean she'll forever be there as well you know she's a star forever forever yeah. she is a queen of my heart i love her oh. I know. Sometimes, like, when I do these podcasts, I just, like, want to start crying. I'm like, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Story of my life. Women, they're just so great. And it's just like, oh. I was, I was preparing yesterday for this and watching her last concert. And I shit you not, I was sending snaps to Karen. <laughs> and it was, like, me going, like, Kuma <laughs> Like, just sobbing like a madman. Like, it, yeah, she's, it's such a sad, it's happy and sad because it's so tragic, but like she really has lived on. Totally true. Like what you said in the beginning, like the irony that I, you know, I cover somebody who's at her literally as old as old can get as far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> and you cover somebody who had such a shorter life, but they both were these, you know, totally amazing icons and made yeah, such that, huge that impacts. have done so much. Like, it's crazy. I know. It really is crazy. It's crazy to think that, like, the amount of things that we can accomplish, whether, you know, you're already accomplishing it by the age of 15 or you're accomplishing it by the age of 83. It's like, I really, it just constantly shows that the opportunities are endless. And as far as timing goes, it's unique to each person. Like, we can never, Mm -hmm. you know, expect things to go a certain way. We just kind of have to go with the flow of our lives and it's going to unfold how it does. Yeah. It's, wow. It's pretty cool. That's dope as hell. <laughs> I know. And I mean, I knew that you were covering Selena. And so I was kind of trying to think like, who who would be like a good pair to go with her? And because Selena is just such a fucking queen, I was like, I want another queen, but like a different kind of queen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Iris is a fucking queen. Oh, for sure. And they they both loved bold, crazy colors. Right? And like Selena wore the bustiers with the beads and uh-huh. shit on it. Yeah. Oh, my I know. goodness. It's pretty They would have cool. been two peas in a pod. Right? <laughs> totally. Super cool. Oh, well, I loved that. That was such a good pairing for an episode. Yeah, I love that. That was great. Well, normally we do Women of the Week, but like I told you earlier, I dropped the ball and completely forgot what I do in my own show. Um, So that sucks. I guess I can shout out a couple ladies. Uh, A couple of my besties, Rosanna, who, like I said before, she introduced me to uh, Selena and... Her, I lived with her family my senior year of high school. I just up and moved across country to see uh, Tacoma, Washington, and lived with her. And I just, she's such a cool badass bitch. She just finished getting her like masters and has got a cool Leslie Nope like job. Ooh, like, I love she, me some Leslie Nope. Yeah, she 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 lives in Hawaii now. Um, and she's just like a boss ass bitch. And How cool. Uh, I 
I told this story on our, our podcast chicklet, but when <laughs> she always stood up for me, Rosanna was very popular and I was like a nerd that people picked on and I tried to keep to myself as a kid. And there was one day I was coming to sit down in the cafeteria and these girls were like, you can't sit here. And I said, why? And they were like, because you're not Rosanna's friends and you have to be Rosanna's friend to sit here. And I was like, okay. And I went to go sit at one of the tables in the middle. Cause I was like, whatever. And she comes up and Rosanna's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I'm just, I'm not, apparently not your friend. They told me, <laughs> told me not to sit there. And she went over and was like, okay, fuck off. Da, 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 da. Like she was always just kind of like standing up. She's always been such like a big sister to me. Dude, um, people, why are, like, that's like the hope for like my podcast is like, how do we create a world where that's not a thing anymore? Like, right. It's so obnoxious. It's also just like outdated. <laughs> like, can we like, can we evolve? Can we get with like the times? Like, we it's are very, it's very Gretchen Wieners. It is. You can't sit with us. Like, fuck off. I know it's women need to support each other rather than tear each other down. Like it, that, that is the truth. There's too much going on. The world's ending. Like everything's fucked right now. The least we can do is not treat each other like shit like let's just let's aim for better there let's aim for a happier 2021 seriously (laughs) california is burning down to a crisp it's like there's too much fucking shitty shit happening murder hornets yeah murder hornets and they're aliens now have you seen there were yeah wasn't there like a witch flying recently (laughs) across san diego did you hear about that what no tell me what there was a witch so two weird things happened in california recently one a plane that was landing into lax called into like air patrol or whatever and was like i literally just saw a human man with a jetpack flying like 30 feet in the air next to me what no one can find this guy (laughs) so the fbi got involved like all this shit's going down no one can now find the jetpack dude And then, like, within a week after that, in San Diego, there was a witch on a broomstick with, like, a big cape spotted flying across San Diego in the sky. And they have pictures of it. And no one knows where the witch went. I'm Googling San Diego witch right now. (laughs) And so I saw this funny thing that was like, dude, when the jetpack man and the witch aren't even making headlines because there's so much other crazy shit happening, that's how you know it's 2020. Right. (laughs) It's a clusterfuck. What are you going to do? You know? (laughs) There's no surprises anymore. It's It's the Jumanji game. We're living it. It's just... Who knows yeah. what's co- what's coming next? It's weird. Please trap me in the game. Like, <laughs> is this? Am I in the game? I don't know. We're what, all living it. We're this living is it the every worst. day. <laughs> oh, I know, but hey, we're we're all getting through it. it. That's the thing is that no one's left out of this shitstorm. No. Everybody's involved. That's like the only difference is like in a world where there are so many different classes of people that go through a wide variety of different types of obstacles. This is one everyone's doing together. Yeah. We're so. all in this together. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was an awesome episode. You seriously were like 
the perfect Selena reporter today. You were so oh, good. Thank you. It was I, great. It means so much. She she means so much to me. I, I hope I did it justice. You did. It was perfect. And you were so natural and seamless on the mic. Woo! Podcasters! Yes, we nailed it. Love it. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in again for another episode of Awesome Women and Awesome wine, beer, hard mic, lemonade, all of it. You know, we again, we don't discriminate in what we drink on this show. Um, but stay tuned for our next episode. It's probably going to be another Everyday Woman uh, shorter episode featuring... I have actually a ton of awesome women lined up to come on this segment. So many great stories to come. You definitely want to tune into these. They are really, really good. So I'm thinking that's going to be the next episode I release. So stay tuned. Probably will come in the next week or so. Um, And then we'll be back to some more women in history. And as I mentioned before, don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, rate, review, sign up for the newsletter, all the things. Um, and also check out my website. I literally revamped the entire thing from scratch and it's not done. It's still a work in progress. I have a lot to do, but it looks fucking fire and I'm super proud of it. So be sure to check it out and also check out the Chicklet podcast. They are yes. killing it over there with some Princess Diaries. Uh, thank you again for joining me on the mic to celebrate some women and drink some wine. We're literally on opposite sides of the state, which, sorry, the country, <laughs> which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it. It's so cool. Thank you so much for having me. Like, this has been so much fun. Like, I had a, a fucking blast. This has been great. Well, you're welcome anytime you would like to come on the show. And I'll also send you some info about the Everyday Woman segment in case that's something you and Karen might be interested in doing. Absolutely. Um, But otherwise, keep on keeping on, peeps. Bye, everyone.